0: Show me the way to go home. Uncle Luke. Uncle Luke has a great story to get us all home. And that's right, a great story that gets us all home. Number one, are you sick and tired of negativity? All the hopeless negativity in the world. If you're not, you're probably part of the problem. Anyhow, I think most of us are always sick and tired of the hopeless negativity that's out there. It is time to consider the the God-blessed lilies of the field. I mean, Uncle Luke has good news, and he just showed us that Johnny has good news, and Johnny says that Isaiah has good news, and Jesus has good news, so what's your good news? Well, come on in. Let's check it out together. Luke chapter 3 again, which is going to take us to Isaiah 40. Come on in. Welcome to the Biblical Channel. Always glad somebody's showing up because man, the the sooner we all start reading our Bible, saying our prayers, and getting together with other people talking God, the better off everything's gonna be. I'm telling you, when people start talking God, everything starts to improve. So, read your Bible, say your prayers, get together, talk God, ring this chamois out for all it's worth—the chamois of life. That's what God wants out of you. And and listen. Nothing rings the chamois of life out better than being in touch with God. Yeah, let's do it. Anyhow, ESPN has been running a fabulous set of commercials all about college football being the best story ever played. And it really is a fabulous commercial because it hits the nail on the head. As human beings, we need a good story. We live on good stories. We love good stories. We live out our own life like it's a good story. We're hoping that our life ends up to be a good story, and we're always grabbing good stories. So it's not a big surprise that the Bible comes to us in the form of story. That doesn't mean it's chintzy. That doesn't mean it's kindergarten stuff. We are the fabric of good story. So the best story played out is actually God's story, the Bible. And that is the most magnificent thing about the Bible is that it keeps a history of the world and God's interaction with the world. And God actually tells his story throughout history. He keeps you know, bringing different people into his story, and it's got the oddest set of twists and turns, and it is gripping. It's got a plot line that is totally mind-blowing, which is the substance of a good story, by the way. A good story, you know, you keep going back to time and time again because there's always something more to see in it. Well, that's how the Bible works for us. There's always something more to see in it. It doesn't give us this, you know, little little tiny sheet of, of um, you know, simplistic um, sayings. It gives us something deep. It gives us something meaningful. Listen, the Bible has been around for almost 4,000 years, at least in parts of it. And that storyline has grown to the climactic conclusion of Jesus Christ. That's the best way to understand the Bible. It's all about how God interrupts history, comes into this history in a way that human beings oftentimes miss the mark on because we are distracted. We are distracted with our hopeless negativity, for Pete's sakes. Well, anyhow, we're going to dive into this thing and we're going to take a look at something about the Bible that's very important for us to understand. And uh, Uncle Luke wants us to see it. Johnny wants us to see it. Jesus wants us to see it. So let's see it. Together anyhow, let's pray before we get started. let's just play like pray like that that peasant girl Mary, that God gave us praise. My soul magnifies the Lord, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. He's looked on the humble estate of his servant. He's mighty and he's done great things for me. Holy is his name. Mercy is for those who fear him, and from generation to generation, he has shown the strength of his arm. How does he show the strength of his arm? He scatters the proud in their thoughts of their hearts. Well, and then Jesus, of course, teaches us how to pray. All Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation. Whoo, because it's all around, baby. And, uh, well, deliver us from evil. Most important thing here. Hallelujah, Lord! You've given us the good stuff. Let us get involved in the good stuff. Let's get together. Let's say our prayers, read our Bible and talk God. Get your favorite drink together and your favorite people around and 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 uh well, use this to get a good conversation going all right, so anyhow, we're doubling back in to a look at Johnny, uh you know Johnny, Elizabeth, and Zechariah's kid, so if you don't know who. Johnny is, then you probably need to go back last week. And if you, you know, if you're confused about who Zechariah and Elizabeth is, then you need to go back to the beginning of the series. But this is the way Luke, our, he's like our uncle Luke, man. The Bible is written by guys that we should, we we should consider our uncles. They're, they're great guys. They're, they're, they're very nice people. And they want us, they want us to have the substance, the substance of knowing God like they do, like they do. That's all ain't trying to manipulate you. They're trying to help. They're on team God. They're on team Jesus. And they want us to get this chamois of life wrung out to its fullest capability. So that's why I keep saying, Uncle Luke, you need to think about these apostles, not with pie plates on the back of their head and some sort of weird holy picture. You need to think about them as your family. And so we go. Uncle Luke has already brought us to uh, Johnny. And uh, the rest of the world usually calls him John the Baptist. But, you know, like any nickname, it often distracts us from seeing the real measure of the man. And so I'm not going to call him John the Baptist. I'm just going to call him Johnny, man. Because Johnny, Johnny has a big role to play. We already looked at that last week. But Johnny said something and did something, according to Uncle Luke. Um, and the way that Uncle Luke, you know, framed this up in, in chapter three, um, you know, he tells us that you know Johnny, Johnny was you know preaching out there around the Jordan River, out in the wilderness, um, and and then he drops in a quote from a, the prophet Isaiah. All right, well, this is this is an important you know kind of idea here to help you become a better Bible reader. That's our always our goal, and and so we're going to start the question of what's your good news because Johnny has good news. Johnny's out there in the wilderness, out there in the Jordan, because he has good news. He don't got bad news. He has good news. But let's be honest. If you really want to understand good news, you got to know what the bad news is. Well, anyhow, um, Johnny's good news is that, hey, it's not too late. Repent. The forgiveness of sins is totally available. This is great news. Uh, people are asking Johnny questions like, what are we doing? You say, you know, Johnny's like, hey, be good and, and pay attention. Pay attention to what's going on around here. Uh, because what's going to go on around here is nothing but the hand of God at work, and of course Johnny points out Jesus, and he says, "There you go. There's your man. I'm not the man. There's your man." But before we get, you know, to J- Johnny pointing out Jesus, he, you know, Uncle Luke puts a quote from the prophet Isaiah in Johnny's mouth, and and what that does is it functions, it functions to help us to get a direction here. And 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 so, this is a great insight as to how the mechanics of the Bible work together. So let's be honest or understand that Isaiah is a real man who is preaching to God's little startup nation. Nation seven hundred years before Johnny comes onto the scene, um, seven hundred years bef- before Luke comes onto the scene. You know, telling us about Johnny, who's telling us about Jesus. So why why? you know, would he quote Isaiah? Why would he quote this guy that lived 700 years ago? Because it turns out that Isaiah had crucial information from God about how the story's going to play out. Now, Isaiah didn't see this thing play out, but he tells us how it will play out. And Johnny and Jesus and all of the New Testament writers understood very clearly that Jesus was saying, you've missed the mark because you haven't read your Bible very well. So, really, this is not a quote. You know, like we use quotes in high school English, you know, like we got to learn how to use a quote. And it's not, you know, like, you know, we're we're, you know, being all pomp and sir, you know, uh, you know, smarty pants, you know, by dropping in quotes trying to sound smart. No, no, no. This quote <clears throat> is like a signpost that gives us direction, and it says, "Go." Go to the prophet Isaiah. So, this little quote from the prophet Isaiah, it's not yeah, The meaning of the quote is important, or, you know, the meaning of the words that he gives is important, but really what it is, is a directional signpost that says, go back to Isaiah, to this section. When you find this section in the prophet Isaiah, then keep reading, meaning that it's not a quote, it's a direction to take you to read that section of the Bible, the Hebrew Bible, the old part of the Bible, where God is supposedly angry at everybody and full of wrath. That is that is nonsense, absolute nonsense. Anybody who thinks that the Old Testament, you know, is is the angry God and the New Testament is the, the happy go lucky God, you, you don't know what you're talking about. You're not a good Bible reader. So anyhow, this little section that that uh, Luke, Uncle Luke, puts into Johnny's mouth um, helps us to understand the fabric of Johnny's teaching, the fabric of Johnny's preaching, the 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 substance. That he was talking about. And so Johnny's not on the scene telling anybody anything new. He's trying to get them to understand what God had said previously so that they would understand a situation that's about to happen around them. And and basically, it all revolves around good news. So Johnny throws this Isaiah quote in there so that we would remember that Isaiah dropped in a significant amount of information to the storyline that God had going. Isaiah is a real guy living around 700 BC. And and as a real guy living, you know, in 700 BC, uh, Isaiah sees, you know, a pretty wild world around him. First of all, he is a contemporary if you're into Greek, you know, poetry or Greek, you know, uh, um mythology, then then actually Isaiah and Homer are contemporaries. They're in two different places of the world. And, uh, well, you know, Homer's out there trying to stir up the Greeks to get back to the old gods, you know, because he feels like, you know, Greece will be better if they they get back to the old gods. Well, Isaiah is doing something a little bit similar. He's over there, you know, just to the right-hand side of the Mediterranean Sea, and he is stirring up God's little startup nation to get back to what God had intended them to know and understand and do, because they're losing the plot. And so, Isaiah had a difficult task ahead of him because the first part of his life, or actually most of his life, he saw he saw how God's little startup nation that we call Israel was coming unraveled. They were getting away from God. They were navel-gazing at the other nations. They were enjoying prosperity. Um, these are not hard times. No, yeah, we all know hard times flush the chump, but so do good times. Good times flush the chump as well, man. And so, You know, Isaiah had the difficult task of of talking to people, living out a pretty good time as far as economic prosperity goes in the nation of Israel. But he says, Man, you are you are making alliances with these other nations. It's going to get you in trouble. You're going to lose the plot. And God is not going to let you, you know, become better friends with the nations and not be his best friend. You know, I mean, this is how it goes. God's going to, you know, if you, if you continue down his path, God is going to bring his judgment upon you. So most of Isaiah's life was spent, you know, kind of trying to reel people back to the message that God had given them, to the good news, for Pete's sakes, to the good news. Um, well, you know, as history would have it, we know that Isaiah actually lives in the time when he sees the 10 northern tribes. Out of the 12 tribes, the 10 northern tribes get sacked by the Assyrians in 722. And then the message changes, and this is why, you know, Uncle Luke and Johnny bring this section of Isaiah to us, because the rest of Isaiah's message, if you read the book of Isaiah, where we're going to land is Isaiah 40, chapter 40, and that's where you're going to find this quote. But from Isaiah chapter 40, really to the end of the Isaiah, or chapter 55, somewhere around there, the message changes. So Isaiah has been talking about, hey, be careful, you know, because God is going to judge our nation if we insist on being like the other nations. But then once the nation is judged, he says, well, there it is. There you have it. But hey, don't lose hope because God has not forgotten about you. God is still good news. And, you know, the, the good news is right here. So this section of Isaiah chapter 40 starts a whole new section where Isaiah starts preaching about salvation and the future of salvation and the future of God's plan of salvation and how the story is going to play out. So, you know, that's the idea here. Um, This section is is being preached to Israel, you know, in 700-ish B.C., um, at a time when these are dark days, the national leadership, the kings and and the king's court, you know, are are uh, well. They've got their nose up Egypt's butt, and they've got their nose in all of the nations' butt. They're kissing butt, you know, with all the other nations. And 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 Isaiah said, "This is what got us into trouble." And uh, but God hasn't lost the plot. You have, and so that's kind of a, an interesting message, I think, for us today, because I think we would all feel like you know our national leadership is has gone kaputs as well. Um, you know our national leadership seems to be completely distracted, um, and uh, well, who knows what's going to happen? But that's uh, you know not the point. Let's hear the good news, though, because that is the major point here. And so, so that little section that that um, you know Johnny is on Johnny's lips, which Uncle Luke is bringing to us, is is the voice crying in the wilderness. Prepare a way for the Lord. Make his path straight. Every valley and field. You know, shall be filled, and that takes us to Isaiah chapter forty. Well, you'll find pretty much those exact words: "Comfort, comfort, my people," says your God. Um, Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Cry to her. Her warfare is ended. Her iniquity is pardoned. She is received from the Lord's hand, double for her sins. Um, a voice cries in the wilderness: "Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight uh, in the desert." This is a, this is the place that is quoted, but we're meant to read on and digest the whole thing um, so we're going to look at the whole of chapter 40 here every valley shall be lifted up and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together For the mouth of the Lord is spoken a voice cries and 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 I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass um, and its beauty is like the flower of the field the grass withers the flower fades and the breath of the Lord blows on it and surely the people are like grass the grass withers the flowers fade but the word of the lord will stand forever so this whole package is part of the good news comfort comfort my people listen this message is being delivered you know to a people that you know feel like god is probably going to abandon them because they are now in the hands of the enemy they are now being controlled by enemy powers they are no longer on their own Things are not good, you know, from most people's point of view. But Isaiah comes in with the message of God saying, hey, comfort, comfort. There, you know, listen, so we all experience bad news. We all experience some the hardships of this life. The Bible is very open and honest with us that this life is hard. It's, it's not easy. It is hard. It's full of joys that come up, but those joys tend to be fleeting. And And, and we love life on earth here but we also know that it's fraught with difficulties and pains and things that don't go our way. Bad news is always around us. And so the main object of this passage is to get people reconnected to the very good news of God. Yeah, the good news of God. And so the message of God um, has four points in this section. Number one, comfort. Comfort is the message. Good news comforts especially when life is very uncomfortable. Good news brings us comfort. And there is nobody that wants us to digest and meditate on and think about the good news more than God. God wants us to focus on the good news, not the bad news. And and so part of the good news starts shaping up around, you know, a very powerful concept um, and the powerful concept that 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 is openly communicated is that you are my people. God would say this to each and every one of us today. You are my people. That is good news. Ladies and gentlemen, waking up every morning and thinking to yourself, I am God's people is, is an attitude adjustment that helps us to get through every day. We are God's people. We should be confident in that. If we are confident in the fact that we are God's people, things will go better in our mind and in our imagination. We will be able to cope. And then the second part of the message that that we hear in Isaiah here is that your sins are forgiven. The warfare's ended. Your iniquity has been pardoned. You've received, you know, you have received you know a uh, 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 you know pardon from from a you know a from the hand, of, uh, I don't even know how to say that. Uh, um, you have received pardon, though. That's the message. You are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. So, number one, you are my people, and your sins have been forgiven. And the third part is cry out. Well, what shall we cry? Well, the 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 first cry out section that we see here is is that you know, in a world full of sadness and sorrow, God reminds us, "I'm in control." and I'm bringing you with me. See that little line in there in in verse 5 of chapter 40? The glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. You see, the cool thing about God is that God in the Bible is a missionary God. He actually comes to us. He brings his words to us. He is missionary. He goes out to find us. And he is very relational. He plans on bringing us all together. He, he plans on having us together that, uh, all flesh shall see it together. He's very relational. That's good news as well. God is, you know, gathering us together and he's getting us home, which is, you know, the message of the Bible. God is getting us home. That's the good news. And, and once again, you know, in this, you know, even in this section, uh, you know, God gives Isaiah to give to the people. There's a, there's a very interesting concept that the Bible holds from beginning to end, and that is that the country folk is where God starts. The cityites, the cityites are out of control. The cityites always ruin it for everybody. You know, the cityites, the people in the cities. The people in the cities are really slow to understand. The people in the country, they're quicker on the uptake. That is a role reversal that only the Bible maintains. The world maintains that the cityites are the smart people. The Bible maintains that the country folk get life better than the city folk do. So God's salvation is is available. That's, That's part of the good news here. And he starts in the country. And God wants everybody to see it. He's not operating in a vacuum. He's not operating in secrecy. Cry out. Cry out. Well, we're all friends and strangers wondering which way to go. Why should I cry? Why should I cry? The fourth part of the message, why should I cry? The reason why you should cry out is because everything seems to wither and fade like the lilies of the field. Consider the lilies of the God-blessed field, would you? And those lilies of the God-blessed field, they fade. The grass withers. And that's bad. But God knows that. And he says there's something permanent. So you are like the grass and the flowers. You're fading. You're withering. You feel it. You know it. That's truth, baby. That's truth. But the Word of God actually is forever. And if we attach ourselves to the Word of God, we're attaching ourselves. We are attaching you know, ourselves to the words of God. And those words of God are essential to our existence because it's the words of God that keeps us in, in the everlasting mode. It's the words of God that will carry our being into eternity. It's the words of God that never fade and never wither. So that's good news. Well, then the passage just keeps going on. And the passage goes on, you know, go up on a high mountain, be a herald of great news. Good news is before us. Cities of Judah, you know, behold your God. Say it spray it. You have good news. Don't act like you don't. It's part of the message that Isaiah is giving, and of course, the message that Johnny is giving as well, the message that Jesus is giving as well. You have good news. You ought to be talking about it. You ought to be, you know, say it and spraying it. You know, some people say, say it, don't spray it. I say, say it and spray it, because that means you've got something really good to say if you're spraying it, baby. And, and spraying it, baby, is what, uh, you know, we're on about here. And Isaiah then moves on. Behold, the Lord comes with might, and his arm rules. The imagery coming forward here is that God is strong. And not only is he strong, but he is rewarding, and he is compensatory. Meaning, you know, we talk about reparations. We're going to screw that up. I got news for you. You know, reparations sound like a neat idea, but we're going to screw it up. We'll, We'll make matters worse when we do reparations. God, however, God promises recompense. God is the only one that is truly compensatory. He's the only one that can fix things that are actually broken. So focus your mind on how strong God is because no matter what has gone wrong, God can fix it. No matter what has not ended up in the right side you know, of the ledger, God can fix that. And he will. He's a gathering God. He's a gentle God. And he promises recompense. He promises reward. He promises that he's the strong one. Everything else in this world is weak, which is the next point is is that he is so strong because he is the creator of the cosmos. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Who's marked off the heavens with a span? You know, who has, you know, the dust of the earth in measure? God is the creator of the cosmos. He's the one who turns chaos into order. He's the one who developed this place and its goodness. Everything good in this world comes from the hand of God because he is the creator, baby. And that is the the fabric of God's good news. I am the creator. You got a good place to come to in me. That's a great message. You got to remember that every day. And the next section, who has measured the spirit of the Lord? what man gives God counsel? Well, I know we think we give God counsel. I, I, I we're always like, you know, I've got something to tell God, no, you don't, no, you don't. He is God, He is infinitely wise. We are dumb as bag of hammers, God totally smart, infinitely wise. We cannot give God counsel. We need to be counseled by God. We were designed to be counseled. By God. The next section, behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket. <laughs> and I love that, that all the nations are as nothing before God. They are uh, 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 accounted by him as less than nothing in emptiness. That comes a big surprise, and, and that is part of the good news. If you're frustrated with the nation that you live in, have no fear. The nations mean absolutely nothing to God. Why? Because God is sovereign. Because the nations themselves are going away. They are they are going away. They, they are a nothingness. They are a nothingness. What matters to God? People. People and families matter to, to God. God does not rule from a nation. God does not rule from a king. He is the king. And he rules over his whole creation. And he rules from the family. He does not rule from governments. Governments are a joke. And, and the Bible the bible is making it very clear that governments that human beings create are all a joke. Democracy is the worst form of government except for all the rest that we create. Therefore, it's the only thing that we have a little bit of hope in, but even that is messy and and even it just will not get us where we need to go. God, however, is totally sovereign and the nations mean nothing. So if you're in a bad nation, this gives us hope. If your nation's going south, this gives us hope. And then and then God says, to whom will you liken me? You know, what likeness will you compare me? An idol? You joking man? You know, listen, God made us in his image. When we make idols, uh, you know, when we make God, we're just a laughingstock because, because our imagined reality comes from God. And, and, and God is beyond our imagined reality. God is 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 bigger than anything we could possibly imagine. And then uh, you know, the Isaiah in verse 21. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told to you from the beginning? Jesus talked like this too. He's like, you know why you don't know nothing? You know why you're wrong? Because you don't read. You don't read the words that God has given. The words that God has given are eternal. They're great. They're awesome. The rest of our words they do not compare. God sits above the earth, and he's saying, can you not hear? God actually uses the heavens, at, you know, as, as uh, you know, I'm sorry, he uses the earth as a footstool. And so he puts his, you know, he's got his butt in the heavens, and he's, and he's got his feet on earth, you know, that's how big God is. He sits above the earth, you know, it's him, who, and I love this this line, He sits above the circles of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. Um, And he stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. Listen, God is big. God is so big that he uses the heavens as a tent, a tent that covers little earth and all of us like little grasshoppers. That is our God. That is good news. Thank God he's that big, right? Remember, God is big so big. Our God is so big. That's another great thought every day. Just a reminder, you you know, God is so big. And then the next verse uh, there in, in verse, what, 25, to whom will you compare me? What am I supposed to be like? Lift up your eyes and see. Look up, people, poetically and physically. Just look up. Be astonished at the fact that you're on a planet spinning at 1,000 mile an hour, traveling around the sun at over 100,000 mile an hour. Be astonished at your being. Be terrified at your own existence. Stop looking left and right and look up. And when you look up, remind yourself that every star is named and known by God. Every star is a creation of God. God is the one who is big. We are the grasshoppers. And then the, the, the text te- you know, kind of moves towards the end. Why do you say, O Jacob? Why do you speak, O Israel, that your way is hidden from me, that my, my right is disregarded by my God? The great danger that we have is, is that we keep thinking that God can't see us. We keep thinking that God's not aware. We keep thinking that God doesn't know what's going on. We keep thinking that he's so far out there that he doesn't get it. No, God gets it. He gets how difficult this life is. He loves us despite, you know, the the fact that, you know, life is difficult, and the difficulty of this life is supposed to get us thinking about God. We are absolutely foolish when God is not on our minds. The danger is not that God doesn't know. The danger is that we don't know. Well, Uncle Luke, Johnny, Jesus, Isaiah—they're all saying the same thing. You got to get God on your mind. I got to get God on my mind. Laid back, got my mind on God and my mind and God on my mind, as the song kind of says. Got my mind on God and my, and and God on my mind. Laid back, chill out. When you put these thoughts in your head you are going to get somewhere. What's your good news is the essential question. The Bible is giving you terrific news about God. Get a grip on the only hope of everlasting anything. And and it's the words of God that God says for right now, this is eternity. This, these are the words that get you to eternity. These are the words that will lift you out of the doldrums. These are the words that will sustain because they're everlasting words, because God is an everlasting God. He's eternal. Um, we are not except in our reliance on Him. What is our good news? It's time that we get the good news right, and that's part of what Johnny is doing. Uncle Luke knows the good news uncle luke that johnny knows uncle luke knows that johnny knows the good news johnny knows that isaiah knows the good news and jesus knows and has the good news as well the question is how about you how about you what is your good news well ladies and gentlemen friends brothers sisters this is good news read isaiah 40 and you'll get the good news firmly squared up in your brain. That's all we got for right now. Catch you next time.